Friends, take your Bibles with me now as we come to a message from the Gospel of Mark. Open with me to chapter 15. We're very near to a series of messages from the Gospel of Mark. It's hard to believe that it's over a year ago we began our journey through the life of Jesus as revealed to us in the shortest action-packed Gospels of the four Gospels, the Gospel of Mark. Written by Mark, known to us in Scripture also as John Mark, a nephew of the Apostle Barnabas and uh, important missionary himself in the early church. Uh, church tradition tells us that Mark's gospel is based largely upon the teaching and preaching of the Apostle Peter. And uh, as Peter was a man of action, so this gospel was full of activity. We saw the works of Jesus as he loved and showed people his love through what he did. And we're going to see the greatest of those works today as we've come to that saddest of chapters in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, where Jesus, for his love for us, uh, went to the cross and, uh, and he gave his life for us there. With that in mind, with that in mind, I want to, I want to share briefly that, that while the Gospel of Mark, as I said, it's brief, it's to the point. He tells us what happened at Golgotha, the place of the skull, as Jesus stretched his arms wide to show his love for us. We nailed him to a cross and he breathed his last breath. He shed his blood for us there. Mark tells us what happened. But full of the fullness of scripture shows us why it happened. And that's where our focus will be today. Briefly, we'll look at what Jesus did for us on the cross, and then we'll ask the question, why did he do it? And what does it teach us today? Before we do, though, I want to remind you, in the midst of this, as we go into the saddest chapters, the saddest event, the turning point of human history, the death of Jesus on the cross, that in doing that, we have reason to rejoice. We are so blessed because of what Jesus did on the cross. Two verses quick to remind you of. The first is found in the Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And the next one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Both of these verses begin with the word therefore and their summations of what came before and the passages before. They're, they're summed up, the important point made. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Second Corinthians 5.17 tells us. Therefore if anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. What do we find in common in these two verses? The blessing of being in Christ. In Christ there is no condemnation. Your sins are no longer counted against you. In fact, the old has gone. You are a new creation. The new has come. Rejoice. That's an Easter message. But friends, we can't get to that Easter reality of being in Jesus alive eternally if we don't have the cross first. In fact, what Jesus does on the cross takes us to this point of being in Christ. And we'll see that as we go along. I've called today's message at the cross. I often name messages after hymns that I grew up with. At the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. Now I'm happy all the day. 
Before we get to that happiness, though, we have to go through the grief of the cross. As we see the results of our sin, I have a personal stake in this chapter today. You see, it was my sin put Jesus on the cross. And if you're honest, you'll realize that it was your sin put Jesus on the cross. So as we come to the cross, we have a part to play. And Jesus did his part as well for us. The Gospel of Mark records the crucifixion of Jesus, the what that happened, beginning in Mark chapter 15, verse 22 to 41. Rather than reading this lengthy passage, I'm going to do what I did a few weeks ago as we looked at the Last Supper, the Lord's Table. And that is, I took a clip out of a wonderful movie, all four of the Gospels of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have been filmed by Lionsgate Films with the same actor, with uh, historically accurate costumes and so forth, realizing that we can never fully comprehend what happened that day. But this is a reminder. What I like about it is these films, if you buy them, they have multiple audio tracks. If you grew up with the King James Version, you can listen to the entire gospel read from the King James or more modern, the New International Version, as we'll hear today. And as the passages are read, what the passage speaks of is acted out in the background. And so we'll lower the lights. We'll enter into the story. Mark chapter 15 was our scripture reading today, beginning in verse 22. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. 
And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lema Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. In that passage, Mark records for us what Jesus did. The scripture reveals in its fullness why he did it for us. We'll look briefly at what his death did for us today. The first point we want to make is that his death revealed his love for us. His love for you. John 13. It's an often overlooked little verse because of all the important things that take place right after it. It's the beginning of John's passion account. But I love John 13.1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The full extent of his love. They'd seen the love of Jesus, those who followed him, especially those the 12 uh, disciples, they'd seen his love acted out over the previous three years. He taught them with authority. He always told them the truth. He never lied. He spoke to them out of love. And I'm sure they knew it. I'm sure they knew their master loved them, the rabbi. But he also cared for them in their infirmities and their failings. He healed their diseases. He cast out unclean spirits. And when they were hungry, he fed them. Not only he fed their hearts, but remember he took a little boy's lunch and he fed the multitude. He showed them his love in so many ways. But it was only when we come to the cross and his death for you do we see how much, the full extent of his love for us. Remember shortly after that, Jesus' words from John chapter 15, verse 13. 
As Jesus reminds us that greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. He was telling them what he was going to do and that it's the greatest love we can show for another. So that's why he did it. That was his motivation for hanging on the cross when he didn't have to. That's why he did it. We often look at that and we realize that this is what happens when the love of God comes in contact with the sinful world. We take Jesus, the only one of us, since Adam and Eve fell, who lived a perfect life. There was no sin in him. So what did we do? We tortured him and we killed him because the sinless lamb of God, friends, came in contact with all of mankind's evil, the jealousy of leadership, the fear of change, the hatred of anyone different from us, racism of the Roman soldiers in that dead-end post in Galilee. Oh, how they hated the Jewish people and how they took delight in mocking the king of the Jews and nailing him to a cross. The religious self-righteousness that Jesus called what it was, hypocrisy. All of that in contact in con- came in contact with the Lamb of God. And we have the cross as the result. Not only did Jesus reveal His love for us on the cross, but on the cross, He paid a price. He paid the price for our sin. Scripture in describing what took place at the cross, the why and behind the what, speaks of cost. It uses the language of an exchange of finances to help us to more fully understand what Jesus did for us that day. And when you're talking about cost, what you're really talking about is value. (laughs) The more valuable something is, the higher the cost. Or to put it the other way around, the more someone is willing to pay, it shows you how high they value something. (laughs) It's what auctions are about. But this was the greatest price ever paid And it was paid for your salvation. So what does that tell you? It tells you how much God valued you. That Jesus would die on the cross to pay the price for your salvation. We all know Romans chapter 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The point made there is there's a financial term, wages. The wages of sin is death. You see, friends, we live. We're born in sin. We live in sin. That's our natural state. We're apart from God. And by the life we live, we earn our wages. Wages is something you earn. Each one of you here today earned death. Eternal death, not just physical death, but eternally being separated from a holy God. We earned it. It's rightfully ours. But Jesus, he takes that from us. He pays a price that that death falls to him rather than you. There's verses 
We call them the ransom verses because they speak of Jesus paying our ransom. It says if we are in captivity, the Bible says you're a slave to sin and death. It's an unbroken cycle. But Jesus breaks that cycle and pays a ransom to ransom you from death to life. Verses like Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life as a ransom. Now that thought is brought out more fully in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. The Apostle Paul writes, For there is one God and one mediator, that is, a go-between, the connection. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. That reveals to you that Jesus, Jesus alone, could pay the ransom. There's one mediator. There's one way to God. As Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. For he pays the price. He bears the cost of our salvation. He's the way. Peter not only may the Gospel of Mark reflect some of the preaching and teaching of Peter, but Peter himself has books in the Bible. We turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, a verse that I quote often because it speaks of God's value for you and the price that Jesus paid. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. And there's that cost again. A price that is paid. That you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Again, the price is paid. It's the blood of the precious lamb of God. He redeemed you. And that term means to buy you back. As the picture of somebody that is in a pawn shop gathering dust on a shelf, never to leave again. But then one comes in who values it and they pay the price to get it out of there. That's what Jesus did. He paid the price to redeem you and buy you from death to life. Now the many terms used theologically, and I don't even like to use that term because people's eyes glaze over. When you read Mark chapter 15, you have narrative. You have the what. But as soon as it sinks in and you understand the why, well, friends, that's the theology. That's the, that's the truth behind what God did for us. And this is a, we understand paying a price, but it goes beyond that. Jesus' death, Scripture teaches us, is the sacrifice of atonement. Now, when it comes to atonement, that right there, even in English, is a hard word. People have made up things to try to make it more comprehensible, saying the word means at one moment. That's not really what it means, and it's certainly not what the, the Greek words that it's based on means. That word is hilasterion, and it can be translated with really hard words. Talking to my wife today, we were talking about the difference. <laughs> this isn't a common conversation in the kitchen. Hey, have you ever thought of the difference between propitiation and expiation? 
And she says, I'm not a big fan of expiation. I like propitiation. And I said, I don't know. That expiation's pretty good too. That's not actually how the conversation went. But we did talk about both of those words and both of the meanings of those are end atonement, what Jesus did in his death on the cross. Put simply, expiation, ex, like exit means to throw out. Expiation gets rid of the sentence of death on you because of your sin. It's blotted out. It's atoned for. It's paid for. And it comes from that Old Testament event. Remember the Day of Atonement? Where the high priest alone, one day a year, went into the Holy of Holies. And there is the Ark of the Covenant. The judgment seat of God. Sitting in judgment on the sin of the world. But the priest took the blood of the sacrifice and he sprinkled blood on the judgment seat and it becomes the mercy seat because our sins are paid for. They're atoned. Our sins are blotted out. And Jesus' death blotted out your sins. They've been expiated. (laughs) That's important. And that's what Jesus does at the cross. Now, propitiation is a little more difficult In the ancient world, remember, they had lots of gods, often represented by idols. And especially in the New Testament time, they they thought that the the normal setting, attitude-wise, for the false gods they worshipped, the gods of Zeus and Greek and Rome and Egypt and so forth, they thought the attitude of the god was normally set on negative, that the gods were hostile toward us. And you could tell that by the suffering of humanity. Gods didn't like us. Somebody up there doesn't like us. And so what they would do to propitiate, to make the gods smile on them more kindly, to appease the gods, to garner favor from the gods, that's what propitiation means. They would make sacrifices, lambs, bulls, even their own children, trying to please angry gods, propitiation. The scripture says that's not what we do as believers in the true God. There is propitiation, but it's only Jesus could do that. You can't please God. You and your sinfulness can do nothing. Your righteousness is like filthy rags. Only the man Christ Jesus. Only Jesus who is fully God and fully human, lived a perfect life, can pay the price. propitiate God for our sin. God himself paid the price to fulfill the demands of justice that the wages of sin is death. God says it is. And to be a just God, I will never change that. But to be the loving and merciful God, I'm going to give my one and only son. And he's going to take your place. And you can have that salvation through faith in what He did for you. That's the sacrifice of atonement. And it's rooted way in the Old Testament. Think all the way back in the Torah, the Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. The wages of sin is death. And God gave them that visual picture that for the forgiveness of sins, for atonement, there's the shedding of blood. It costs a life. 
Now we know as scripture goes along, God reveals that the blood of bulls and goats cannot cover your sin. That God honored the faith of those saints in the Old Testament as they made sacrifice. It was their faith in God who provided the lambs for them that he would forgive them. All of those sacrifices look forward to the cross. The one true sacrifice of atonement. As the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Not the blood of bulls and goats. But as Peter said, the precious blood of the Lamb. The blood of Jesus. As the Apostle Paul, speaking of how rightness with God, righteousness can come to us through faith in Jesus. He says in verse 22 of Romans chapter 3, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption, there is buying us back, that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. You can't add anything to it. You can just accept it by faith. That's your part. Jesus is the one who fulfilled the demands of a just and holy God with His blood shed on our behalf. And that brings us to our final point. It was on our behalf. When we saw in the film reminding us of what happened that terrible day, as the nails were driven through his flesh into the tree. We could think of how awful that was. But the reality was, that was your cross. Jesus took your punishment. The cup of God's wrath, he drained it for you and I. It was substitutionary. He took our place. His death was in our place. We have no room to be proud. <laughs> no room. It's like children in a making mud pies in a in a mud hole arguing over who's the cleanest. We're all dirty. We're just dirty in different ways. His death was in our place. And we can see what we deserved. Speaking of the substitutionary nature of Jesus' death for us, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he reminds us that God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This takes us right back to where we were at the beginning. We take it for granted as followers of Jesus that we positionally are in Christ. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your failings. He doesn't see your struggles. He does. And he forgives them as you confess them. But you, he values as he sees you in his son. You're in Christ. He loves you so. 
and you're in Christ because Jesus took your place on the cross. And now through faith in him, you have God's righteousness. You're a child of God adopted into his very family. And as the apostle Paul wrote there, you now can live out the righteousness of God. Jesus has ascended to the father's right hand to intercede for us. But we're here to continue to live out his life. We're in him and he's in us. Not just one of him anymore, but all of his children as he lives in us and through us to share the good news. We've come a long way since Mark chapter 1, verse 1. I love, it's the briefest, it's such a clear little beginning. You ever want to memorize a verse and say you've memorized the verse? Mark 1, verse 1. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Mark. Or the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. Mark wrote it, but it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. He says, this is the beginning. And then he goes on and talks about a man came from God in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, John the Baptist. Mark doesn't have a Christmas story. Remember, it began with Jesus coming to the river to be baptized and beginning his public ministry. That was the beginning of the good news, the gospel of Jesus. But friends, it's not the end. And the cross wasn't the end because it continues through you and I today. As you come into the life of somebody who is hurting, somebody who is separated from God by their sin, it's as if Jesus comes to them. His spirit is in your heart. His words you share with him. He experiences God's love through us. We are in Christ, and He is in us. And that's the reality from our closing verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 24. He Himself, substitutionary, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, so, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by His wounds you have been healed. Died to sin and live for righteousness. And live to righteousness. Be Jesus' feet. Be His hands. Be His voice. This has been a hard year in this whole world. It's as sad and hurting and dark as it's ever been. The world needs Jesus. And they need his followers to be Jesus in those situations. Let him live through us today. Let his spirit guide. Let his word be on our lips. This world needs Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, when we behold the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died. Our greatest gains we count as loss and pour contempt on all our pride. And Father, we do that because we realize it was our sin put Him there. And it was His great love for us that kept Him there. And Father, as we reflect on that and the meaning of it, that He paid the price He was the substitute and He made atonement for us. 
Lord, we look forward to the rest of the story next week as we focus on the resurrection before we enter into the Advent season. But Lord, this week, make it fresh and new to us. The meaning of the cross. The turning point of human history then and today for each person who takes breath in this world, Lord, we must deal with the cross. We can't remain neutral to it. We can't know of it. We have to accept it by faith or reject it. Lord Jesus, the stumbling stone, there is no other way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So Father, if any in, within the sound of my voice, Lord, today need to make that decision, Lord, I pray that your spirit would draw them and that by faith they would accept Jesus and His death on the cross for them and He would become their Lord, their Savior. Father, for us, may we realize the blessings of being in Christ. And wherever you send us this week, Lord, we be your missionaries there. Father, this is our prayer. We pray it all in Jesus' strong name. Amen. God bless you. See many of you Tuesday night.